0: Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Century Leadership Podcast. We are a culture of resources and relationships for spiritual leaders. I'm your host, Jordan Matthew Ward, and today we have a very special guest for you guys. Two special guests, actually. Pastors Rich and Robin Wilkerson. Pastors Rich and Robin are the founders of Peacemakers, which is a Christian nonprofit social services organization and the senior pastors of Trinity Church in Miami, Florida. They've been married for over 40 years, and Rich and Robin have extensive experience with the family ministry and have a unique gift of communicating the gospel to this society. Rich and Robin minister in the heart of Miami's inner city and continue to be committed to the local community there through cutting edge ministry outreaches. And that was the name of the game for today's episode. Rich and Robin talked about what it meant to them to be cutting edge and how to stay relevant and continue to minister to the younger generation in today's world. So without any further delay, let's go ahead and jump into today's episode and see what pastors Rich and Robin have to share with us. Can each of you give me... Uh, a, a musician that's had a great impact on your life.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would uh, like Billy Joel in the, in the secular scene, and I'm really old school. I was really impacted by Andre Crouch as a young man. Ah,
0: I know Andre Crouch. That's awesome. Yeah. Robin, you have anyone in particular? Uh,. Well, I really like the Beatles. <laughs> nice. We're pretty, we're pretty old people. So. Nice. You know, it's really funny that you bring them up because I recently took it upon myself to listen to the Beatles for basically the first time. Because growing up, my parents didn't really listen to them, and so I was like, yeah. I got to see, you know, what they're about and listen to some of their music. So I checked out Sergeant Pepper and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, uh,
1: that was in their modern years.
2: That's you know, not old school. <laughs> no,
1: no. You know, you know why Beagles
3: were such a—they um, were a culture uh, shift. And as they developed in their musical um, diversity, because they grew together as a band from being young people, and as they developed, they changed. Uh-huh. And as they changed, you know, matured, so to mm-hmm. speak, as they were growing, uh-huh. they con- they continued to impact culture.
2: Uh-huh.
3: And I, I probably, that art form that they had at that time, they were literally, you know, poets uh-huh. that were speaking into culture and through their um
0: music they changed america really yeah that's very interesting and that's that's the reason i really like asking these types of questions because to me i find it really interesting when um musicians or actors artists have so much influence over our culture i think it's very interesting and i think there's something to be to be um learned in that, especially when we talk about um, ministry, when we talk about the church, when we talk about speaking into a particular um, people group or demographic or generation, um, I think it's it's very interesting how sometimes you can learn things from looking at a, a popular musician or, or someone who's a public figure that people look up to and even try to model themselves after.
3: Exactly. Absolutely. And when you're investing in young people, it's very important that you listen to the voices that they're listening
0: to. Very interesting. Uh, So in your words, why would you say that's important?
3: Because I think as church leaders, we can get isolated if we're not willing to broaden our, um, our awareness right. to to cultivate a culture in a church that is growing and vibrant and exciting mm-hmm. to young people. Mm-hmm. We need to be aware that popular culture is highly significant to them. Right. And church leaders have to stay in tune with what's happening today. hmm And today is always new for young people. Right. So no matter what place a church leader might find themselves at in their personal life, they need to be um, caring enough about young people to invest their time and their energy to hear the voice that young people are listening to.
0: Right. And that's so good. I couldn't agree more with what you just said. And I, I really, I, I was kind of trying to save some of these questions for later on, but since we kind of jumped into it, um, man, you're getting me excited. So uh, my nephew uh, was in a place around kind of age 13 where he was really being influenced by this like phenomenon called slender man. And yes. I, don't know, I don't know if you guys heard of it or not, but when I first heard him talking about it, I just kind of thought it was like a video game or something. And I just kind of wrote it off and wasn't paying attention. And then eventually realized that it was this really dark um, yes. thing that like a lot of his friends yes. were into. And it was like, yes. once his, his mom, my sister told me about it, I got really concerned. And so I started looking into it and then tried to have some conversations with him about it. And through that, was able to talk to him about Jesus and pray with him. And that's why I I like what you said so much, because if I wouldn't have taken the time to to kind of uh, learn about the things he was into, I would have no place to kind of, you know, relate to him or speak into his life or anything like that.
3: Well, church life (laughs) is about creating a contagious culture. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. And leadership is about investing into the lives of people so that they can grow spiritually. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be common ground that we can um, open ourselves up to a conversation that they can identify with. So it's totally on us. It's Mm -hmm. totally on us to care enough to put yourself out there and to not, you know, I think sometimes people get confused and they think, well, I need to like everything. That's not true. Right. I don't need to like it. I I'm a grandmother. I have my ideas and what I like, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to be aware of where, where the fish are biting. Right. So I've got to put the bait in the water.
0: Yeah. So it's not
3: about what I like. It's not about what I like. It's about what matters to the generation that we're trying to reach.
0: Right. That's so good. So tell me a little bit about how you guys met and just a little bit of your background.
3: Okay, Rich, are you going to call it?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, we we met in 1971. Mm -hmm. I was in... um, church, she walked in the back door, and uh, I met her after church, and we started a long relationship and got married.
0: Nice. And
1: this past Friday, we celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary.
0: Nice. Congratulations. We started,
1: uh, <laughs> we started right away in youth ministry, and uh, at the seven-year mark, I left the field of youth pastoring. Mm-hmm. and went on the road as an evangelist. Okay. And it it kind of blew up. God really moved and that opened doors into Christian television. Um, and then in 1994, we were made home missionaries by the Assemblies of God okay. with, with an organization called Peacemakers. Mm-hmm. And um, We started planting churches in inner cities. I had a heart to reach black people, in particular. Okay. And and um, we planted a total of ten churches. And at the four-year mark, saw that we were going to have to build a prototype. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a great ministry in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, traveling every week, on television every week, on TV. I mean, um, and a church opened in Miami that was kind of in the shutdown mode. Mm-hmm. About 250 Asian people. And um, we took it. It was a, just a hard turn, right-angle turn. Uh-huh. You know, at the age of 45. Moved our four sons... Down here to Florida.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oldest son was a senior in high school. Couldn't have done a, a more desperate thing for kids. Yeah. You know, my second one son was fourteen. My next one was eleven. My next one was eight. And today they're all in the ministry. So mm-hmm. what was a real crisis for them? They worked through it and. You know, God is using them now in a mighty
0: way. So how, how have things been going lately with uh, Trinity Church?
3: Everything Everything's going great. We have a big women's conference this weekend. Joyce Meyer and Real Talk Kim and Kiera Sheard. And uh, we have more than a thousand ladies registered. And that'll start on Friday night. Awesome. I, I, I don't know what... how to answer your question we press on we Mm -hmm. press on that's
0: the answer that's so good and and i i did want to kind of get into the peacemakers a little bit because i i tried to do a little bit of research on you know you guys ministry and what you guys are up to these days and and i i kind of saw that peacemakers was about um responding to crisis situations and lending a helping hand in those types of situations. And I couldn't help but think of uh, hurricane Irma. And I can only imagine uh, what that was like for you guys. Can you talk about that a little bit and what your experience was like with that?
3: Well, we've had lots of hurricanes, but this one that was different about this one is that they kept predicting that the eye was gonna be a five and it was gonna hit Miami dead on. Mm-hmm. And that was that was different. You mm-hmm. know, that was terrifying to the state of Florida. Mm-hmm. And um as it turned out, of course, we know how devastating it was all through the Caribbean. Right. But what did happen is we did experience damage to one of our buildings. In fact, it's the original worship center for the church. Mm-hmm. The, um, we had a cyclone, a tornado, um, touched down on the roof and oh it actually took the, steeple uh, off and tore the roof apart. Wow. And, um, that tornado, um, just devastated the block there, the area, and so we are no longer worshiping in that particular um, building right now. It's standing, um, getting ready. We'll have to do repair to be able to occupy it again, and through that experience, our community really pulled together, and we are partners with the Convoy of Hope, and they were um, great and helped us, and we packed out, I don't know, ton, I don't know how much, 12,000 12, families wow. served with, with groceries and water. Oh my and, gosh! yeah, so we have a complete social service, um, agency within the church itself. Mm-hmm. And, um, that makes us different from probably most churches that, I've ever had any experience with, Uh meaning that at least I would say 70% of our staff, we have 120 employees, are subsidized in their salary by social service um, contracts and grants and um, relationships We work with universities, we work with government, we work with business, and we provide a full range of social services, starting with teen pregnancy prevention. Mm -hmm. We have 30 educators that go five days a week Mm -hmm. into Miami-Dade School District, and they actually teach a health class. And they rotate from school to school. But within that health class, they are actually teaching teen pregnancy prevention mm-hmm. in the public school system. But there are youth staff. okay, And that's a $5 million grant that we won from um, the U.S. government for that. Wow. So we do many, 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 many things like that.
0: Amazing. Amazing. So... Um, I, I read on, I think it was um, the richwilkerson.com, <clears throat> I believe. One of the things I I saw was it was talking about your ministry efforts and your ministry outreaches, and it, and it was talking about how your ministry um, reaches out through cutting-edge techniques. Um, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what it means to you guys to be cutting edge in order to reach out to this generation in this day and age and why you think it is important. I know we touched on that a little bit um, already, but what are some of the ways that you guys think that uh, spiritual leaders can be cutting edge in today's world?
1: Well, always be thinking the next thing. What's next? You know, when I, When I was 27, I went on the road and worked my way into public schools, um, and that was kind of cutting edge at that time, and initially, people didn't want me for my preaching. They wanted me because I could get into public school and get them into the public school, and, um... Obviously, the preaching thing developed on and on, but our next thing was to go into urban America. When we came to Miami, my wife was, she likes to say that she was the amber mom, (laughs) you know, all boys and, and, you know, kind of Nordstrom's. Uh Um, We got here, and she was just totally against it. Mm -hmm. And the week that we came... To look at the whole thing, we've been—I've been here many times before. The Lord gave her a, a dream in the middle of the night. She woke up and she said, "This is it." She said, "This is 1998 now." Mm-hmm. She said, "America is going to go urban. All the influence is going to go to the cities.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Influence is going to begin to leave suburbs. Everything's going to be on big cities. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a black president." I thought she wow. was crazy.
2: Wow, you know,
1: and um, all those things that happened and more. But we came to Urban Miami in, in a real ghetto situation. when There just weren't a lot of people. that Certainly not at you know midlife, forty-five years old. You're not making that move at that stage, right? And and so that was cutting edge at the time. And then two years into it, we were broke, out of money. And Robin saw this RFP in the newspaper and she filled it out. It was like a doctoral dissertation mm-hmm. and she won the grant, $175,000 grant. Wow. For day camps during the summer. We had an eight-week day camp, 40 employees, 400 students, mm-hmm. ages four to about you know 14. Mm-hmm. And that started our social service ministry, through the years we won well over $40 million in government grants, contracts. So that's all been cutting edge. Right now, Mm -hmm. we just started a program among ghetto kids called Generation 20. Mm -hmm. And Generation, excuse me, Generation 2050. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at young people now that at the year 2050, they will either be complete losers or movers and shakers. Right. Because they're ghetto kids. Mm-hmm. And so we've started an entrepreneurial program for them mm-hmm. that the children, excuse me, the Children's Trust in Miami uh, is now funding. And so what we started from scratch, they're now going to help us fund it. Because our students graduated after a 12-week program this summer Mm -hmm. and won money because of their... One of the things we started is a beekeeping colony at the church. Uh We've now had university professors from FIU and University of Florida come and teach our kids. And we've got a full... We've got beehives all over our church. Wow. And we are now beginning to produce honey. Um, what we're doing in foreign missions, we went to Cambodia with Teen Challenge. We built a biogas digester, our church did. hmm And uh, the animals, which we started, a piggery and a goat farm. And the piggery pigs poop in this grated, you know, uh, floor... And it goes into this biogas digester. Mm-hmm. And uh, the feces is turned into fuel and power. Wow. And it's processed. It's being sold now. It's providing electricity mm-hmm. for the Teen Challenge Center over there. Our goat farm is now funding the whole mission. Mm-hmm. From this Teen Challenge Center, we we built a church of 400 people. Wow. Nobody was, no one knew God. It's Cambodia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, we started a school. We've got 500 children in the school. It's the only school in the province. Uh, it's, it, it's, but it's always cutting-edge stuff. It's not just door-to-door knocking on doors, but we've seen thousands of people saved through the mission God's called us to. Um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, could talk a long time about that.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like... To me, what I hear you saying is when it comes to being cutting edge, when it comes to reaching the current generation, um, it's not so much about one particular method, but it sounds to me like you're saying it's a way of thinking. And it's a mentality that you have uh, about being relevant to the point that you can speak into um, whatever demographic you feel that you're called to or whatever people group that you feel that you're called to. Would you say that that's... That's right. In,
1: in May, I will finish my doctoral studies, and in June, I will start the dissertation. Mm-hmm. And the dissertation is entitled Gifters and Lifters. And I'm going to define what what is critical in the church today in America, not just the Assemblies of God, what's critical across the church world. And it's found in these two words, gifters, I've just put it number on those 40 and over lifters, those under 40 lifters describes the volunteerism in the church mm-hmm. and gifters describes the, the predominant funding of the church in that age group. That doesn't mean that there aren't volunteers in the older group and there aren't funders in the younger group, Right, but the, the, the dominating, you know, numbers come in those two groups. And what happens in churches is the gifters um, try to control the lifters with their money. Mm-hmm. And they're, with their money, they do their best to buy their historic culture. And, and, and lifters aren't buying it. They're, they're not into it. And unlike my generation, which was the hippie movement, you know, if you got smacked at something, you threw hand grenades and got in fights with national guardsmen. Mm-hmm. Um, this group of millennials—they just leave. They're not mad. They just leave. And you can have great churches where a couple hundred of them will leave on a Sunday, and you'll start going. Where did they go? They just left. And the, the, here's here's what's critical: eighty-five percent of all believers in the world accept Christ before they're thirty years of age. That's where the battle is being waged. So when Robin talked about culture at the very beginning of this discussion, that's everything. The the, the numbers are in that under 30 group. That's where decisions are being made. All funding, all attitudes must come under that age group. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not going into all the world and preaching the gospel. Right? You're sitting on your butt doing what you want to do mm-hmm. with your own money, buying mm-hmm. your own culture, buying your own comfortability. Mm-hmm. And at that point, all the lifters leave. Now you've got to hire lifters, and you just can't trust hirelings. Mm-hmm. The Bible teaches that. So how do we keep the lifters with us? We let them know with our hearts and with our money that we are into their culture, Mm -hmm. promoting their culture and reaching young people for Christ. That's it. Yeah. I'm talking about young adults. I'm talking about high schoolers. I'm talking about children. Mm -hmm. Everything has to be given for that, that group.
0: Mm -hmm. What, what are some of the ways, if you can kind of go into it just a little bit that you guys have implemented, um, basically everything that you just said, what are some of the ways that you've seen this play out at Trinity?
3: Well, like like he was telling you, um, we have many programs, but one of the key things is we started a school. Mm-hmm. And so we have a private school, but this private school is – Um, mostly full of students that need scholarships. Okay. And so what we've done is we have made the school available and accessible to people who don't have the ability to have a Christian private school. Okay. And we take scholarships and vouchers and we do everything possible to put people into the um, settings that they want to be in. In other words, there's a, there's a level of accountability that has to happen. And what I mean by that is for us as a church to be able to accept government funds, to be able to accept vouchers from the state of Florida for step-up scholarships, so that low-income children can go to our school, we as a church have to make the commitment that we're going to adhere to every level of scrutiny and accountability and audit and invasive licensing, whatever it takes to be able to compete in the marketplace. And as, as, as a church, sometimes, and as leaders, Christian leaders, we can be a little bit like, you know, we we don't want you um, outsiders, meaning the secular world, um, going through our stuff right. or whatever.
0: Right, that's so true.
3: And, and I, I, I really don't have an ax to grind here. This uh-huh. is not about... But if if I want to compete at the highest level, I have to get in the game. And part of being in the game is being willing to compete. And so, what we do in our private school, what we do in our after-school programs... What we do in our summer camp, what we do in all of our youth programs, our social service programs, is we get out there in the marketplace and we compete yeah. head-to-head with other nonprofits for um, doctors mm-hmm. that are available to provide services. So. I don't know, but most churches don't have the um, staff that would have the credentials like social workers and master's degree levels. and They don't have people with the highest license level doing all kinds of work, right. especially in an urban setting. Right. And for us to be able to do that and to fund it and to be able to be creative we've had to build credibility and partnerships all across the county and across the state. And so, wow. you know, we've been blessed to win federal contracts. We've been to the you know, White House. We've had the governor award us awards and all of that is really about one word, accountability.
1: Mm-hmm. Years ago, we started a Tuesday night event for young adults. Called the Rendezvous, mm-hmm. and uh, Rich Jr., our son, was there. He built it up. We averaged over a thousand university students every Tuesday night. Wow! Um, then out of that group, we launched a new church two years ago, two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Ten miles from us, downtown Miami, they had thirty nine hundred people Sunday. We still have right at 500 people on Tuesday night. Wow, um, we sent about a thousand down there. Uh, we still have a, a 500 young people on Tuesday night. It's booming, um, and it's very creative. It's very connected to young people, and so last night uh, we did a Survey Monkey in the during the service. Uh, if you're if you're in university or college please fill it out right now during the service well several hundred filled it out what campus are, are you on do you have a ministry on that campus that is effective mm-hmm. because now we have decided that we're going to start the university campus ministries in and about South Florida out of our rendezvous ministry mm-hmm. so um, Robin talked about the fact that we're competing in the government, we're competing in the community. And she talks about nonprofits. She's not talking about Christian nonprofits. We're wow. the Christian nonprofit, period. Wow. Okay. But so we're in the world. We're in the secular world. And then when you talk about the spiritual area, we, got, we get hundreds of people saved every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been amazing. Just Amazing.
0: Man, when I hear you guys talk about this stuff, I can't help but think of uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians about being all things to all men. And I just feel like when I hear you guys talk about your ministry, you're doing everything that you can possibly do to be effective in the things that you set out to do in your ministry. Would you say that's the case?
1: Yeah. We're so blessed. Our, our youngest son is in uh, Harlem, started a church there. The same time we started the Boo Church, mm-hmm. we started Trinity Harlem. They're exploding. Uh, we had a devastating event this past Thursday. Our church was destroyed um, and uh, in New York. Uh, water main on the ceiling broke on the roof during the uh, snowstorm and, and winter blasts flooded the church. All three floors are destroyed. Um, The mayor of the city put us in the finest high school in Harlem. And Fox News came and did a big story in New York City. It was on the news there Friday night, Saturday morning. We had the finest insurance. God's helping us through it. But we're literally going to grow through this tragedy. Doors are opening and but I'm just saying that, uh, yeah, we're we want to be in great cities of America. We want to impact urban culture because that's where trends and culture eventually sweeps the country.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good stuff, man. Yeah. Um, thank you guys so much for sharing with us. I, I hear people say it all the time: how times are changing and technology is taking over, and this is the age of information and and the the methods that the methods in which we choose to do church and, and speak into this generation are having to change. And when I look at your church, when I look at your ministry, I definitely see that. And when I hear you guys talk about the things that you're doing, I can't help but to just think that you guys are being very effective and it's very inspiring to see what you're doing. So I just, thank you so much for sharing. Oh yeah. Thank you. We really appreciate it. I want to ask you one more question before I let you go. Um, if If you could kind of sum sum all of this up and and sum up your your approach to spiritual leadership, what would you what would you have to say to the next generation of spiritual leaders in terms of how they can be effective in everything that they choose to do? Serve, serve,
1: serve. That's what the book is all about. Mm-hmm. Um, servant leadership, open store. Doors that you cannot make happen Mm -hmm. um, on your own. You just can't. And through service, through serving people, a door will open that you could not have kicked in. That will lead to another door. I mean, we started with the poorest people in Dade County and ended up in the White House on several occasions. How does that happen? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what servant leadership does. Yeah. Um, I don't expect anything in return. Whatever your need is, I want to serve it. Um, just a quick story. I was in Morocco with my youngest son, who's in New York. We're, we're on a team um, called the Peace Caravan that unites pastors, imams, and rabbis together. hmm And I was one of the pastors representing Miami. Taylor was one of the pastors representing New York. And the New York imam um, was the imam over the mosque that Malcolm X started.
2: Wow.
1: He's 66 years old. And I, I saw that he was at Taylor's table. So I went over. I met him. I said, I'm Rich Wilkerson from Miami. This is my son, Taylor Wilkerson. He pastors the Trinity in Harlem. And we have to walk by your mosque in the morning when we leave his house to go to our church. Mm -hmm. I want to offer my son to you. He's only 27 to serve you in any way that we can. Wow. And that blew him away. Within the next four days, he came to me and said, you know, you offered your son to serve me. I want to offer me to serve your son.
0: Oh my gosh. That's awesome.
1: That's what happened four days later. So you have to get to know people, but you always walk in the door of service. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you serve people, good things happen, you know? So that's that's what I would say um, we'll, we'll open doors. Everybody's looking for an open door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right? And um, the way doors are open is there's servant leadership.
0: Amazing. That's good stuff. Robin, do you have anything to add to that?
3: Servant leadership and then generosity. Um, My son, Rich, in his office, he painted on the wall. I was thinking about it when I woke up this morning. He painted on the wall, nobody owes me anything because Jesus gave me everything.
0: That's good stuff.
3: And if you're going to serve... And then carry a chip on your shoulder because they didn't recognize you or no, nobody knows the trouble we've seen. Right, <laughs> you know? right. I mean, if, if that is the attitude, then it won't work. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver.
2: Mm.
3: Not, He doesn't just love givers. He loves a cheerful and as I was meditating on that this morning, my thought was it's generosity with true gratitude mm-hmm. to God. Mm-hmm. So servant leadership opens the door, but then generosity says, I did it for Jesus. I didn't do it for just people because people let us down. People don't understand, people aren't grateful, people don't get it, but it's not for people. It's for people because Jesus loves people. And I don't work for a man or a committee or a board. I work for the Lord. And it's only in that mindset that energy can be sustained for any spiritual leader. Energy comes from mission, and mission is calling. And based on your calling, you can find energy to get up and do it another day.
0: Guys, thank you so much again for everything you shared with us. We appreciate it so much. I pray blessings over you, over your family, over your ministry. And man, just thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Thank you. Have a good one, man.
0: All right. You too. Appreciate you guys. Bye bye. That's it for today's episode. We want to thank Pastors Rich and Robin again so much for everything that they shared on today's episode. Very inspiring, very encouraging. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can find all the information that you could possibly need on our website at centuryleadership.com or you can find us on Facebook by simply searching for Century Leadership. And also, guys, don't forget about the Century Leadership Conference of 2018, scheduled for April 23rd. The Century Leadership Conference is a gathering of church leaders building a culture of resources and relationships. This year's Century Leadership Conference is scheduled to be held at Lawton First Assembly. And again, that date is April 23rd, 2018. You can pre-register today for only $49 for the Century Leadership Conference 2018. If you want more information, again, the website is CenturyLeadership.com or check out the Facebook page Century Leadership. And with that, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I am Jordan Matthew Ward, your host, signing off. God bless, and we'll see you later.